From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, August 4th. It's a long-held tradition in many cultures to decorate the gravesites of our loved ones using flowers. Think of marigolds or sempusichol during Day of the Dead in Mexico. Or the chrysanthemums or kiku at Obon Festival in Japan. Even in ancient Rome, Roman citizens made wreath arrangements to celebrate the spirits of the dead during Feralia. And you can see there's flowers in here that still can be used to decorate. Grand County Sexton, Robert Buckingham. He manages five cemeteries in the county, and we're here at the largest in Spanish Valley. The tradition of decorating loved ones' graves continues here in Moab. And in this region of the world where fresh flowers might be tough to come by, people use silk and plastic. Buckingham is standing over a whole box of them. When we gather up the flowers on the north end of the cemetery that are blown out of here, we put them in here, we shut the lid. The sign kind of is self-explanatory. The flower box project, take some or leave some. It's a repurposing project. Buckingham says he's an avid recycler, composter, that sort of thing. And back in his office, he says it's bothered him that silk and plastic flowers sometimes quite literally fly off the graves. Their next destination, the landfill. Because out here on the flats, poverty flats as it's known, we called it that when I was a child, the winds are horrific. We get 35, 40, 45 mile an hour winds out here. The winds and the flowers pick up most in late May, around Memorial Day weekend. That's a traditional time in Utah for families to decorate graves. And Buckingham's witnessed all sorts of strategies folks employ to fight the wind. And it's funny because people get, they they come up with all kinds of ideas to keep these flowers. People are glue, string, chain, tin stakes, you name it, I've dealt with it. But even with these innovations, after a good wind on the flats, flowers still end up everywhere else but the grave sites. Hundreds of flowers that blow off these graves line up along the fence. People are calling me and saying, hey, do you have my flowers? <laughs> I do, but I don't know if they're yours. I don't know where they go. I can't put them back. But now with the take some, leave some flower box project, he's hoping things will be different. The box has only been up for a few weeks, and Buckingham says it's already catching on. I can tell someone's been in there. There's flowers that are gone and flowers that have been put in. So it's working. I've had a lot of the public tell me that they love the idea, they love the project. So I think it's going to go over. It's in my way, it's just a small way of trying to help recycle these flowers and cut down on the plastics and help people that don't want to go to the dollar store and buy more. Some of these still have the tags on them. Buckingham has been working with the dead and their loved ones for decades. And when it comes to decorating graves, he says flowers, well, they're... More for the living than the dead. It uh, reminds them of their loved ones when they come to pay respect, and it brings up memories. And it's not just flowers. People bring cookies and pieces of candy and a cola or a can of beer or a shot of whiskey or whatever, and I have to be real careful with letting them do that. I mean, it, but it, it's, it's out of respect of the deceased that they do this, and everybody does it differently, but for the same reason, I think. No word yet on a whiskey box project. 
But for more on the Flower Box Project at Sunset Memorial Garden Cemetery in Spanish Valley, visit the show notes of today's news. A popular stretch of the Snake River near the Tetons could be the first Wyoming River to charge boaters. The money would go toward improving infrastructure on the river. Local recreators say they are supportive, but have questions about the plan. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports. $3 per person a day, or $40 annually. Those are the fees the Bridger Teton National Forest is currently proposing for boaters floating from Hoback to Alpine. But David Cernicek, the local Wild and Scenics River coordinator, says those fees are still very much up for debate. There's a lot of ways to do this. What we're putting out is something out in the middle of the room to take pokes at. About 20 community members at a public meeting this week reluctantly agreed the fees are necessary to address over $2 million in infrastructure needs around the river, like bathrooms and boat ramps. But they question how users are charged. Many want to see a per-vehicle fee instead of a per-user one. Zina Horman, a kayaker and former raft guide, wants to see a per-boat fee based on capacity and discounts for locals. I think the people who are coming from out of town and other states are the ones who have the potential to overwhelm the resource. With rangers checking for permits, Horman says there's an opportunity to educate these users on how to be safe on the river. That's Hannah Mersbach reporting with our partners at KHOL. Visitors and locals alike love our region for the seemingly endless outdoor recreation opportunities. But for Spanish speakers, it can be tough to get out and enjoy the trails when there's no maps or other information available in their primary language. That's why a Colorado advocacy group has created El Camino Latino, a map with detailed recreation information in both English and Spanish for the Carbondale area. Caroline Yanis, with our partners at Aspen Public Radio, went on a hike with the group, checking out the map for the first time. Guinea Rochin and her husband, Jaime Lopez, love to walk on the Rio Grande Trail near their home in Carbondale. And on a cloudless Saturday morning, they're ready to hike to Mushroom Rock in the Red Hill Recreation Area in Carbondale. They'd love to be able to hike with their friends, but they often go alone because their friends don't feel comfortable navigating the trails without information in Spanish. And a lot of the time, their Spanish-speaking friends and others in the Latino community don't have the time or energy to do that research on their own. Especially, like Rochin says, when they work long hours and are too tired to get out and exercise when they get home. Those kinds of issues are what a new map from local group Defiendo Nuestra Tierra is hoping to address. El Camino Latino features 19 areas on public lands around the Roaring Fork and Colorado River Valleys. It also includes information on what you can do there, like hiking, biking, camping, and picnicking, how difficult the trails are, and whether the area has bilingual signage. Red Hill is one of the areas with bilingual signage, including information about trail etiquette and the Leave No Trace principles, as well as background on the ecosystem of the Red Rock formations. That made it the perfect destination for Defiende Nuestra Tierra to hand out the first copies of the map to the public. 
Omak Sarabia is a director. He's been working on the map for a little over a year and encouraging agencies like the White River National Forest to translate trail signs into Spanish. Y la intención es de, de esto es pues generar cultura de la caminata, del al aire libre, sobre todo después de COVID, que todo el mundo estaba encerrado. Sarabia says the intention is to create a culture of hiking at the outdoors. Especially after COVID, he says now people can grab this map and say, okay, I have 19 options, where can I go? Sarabia grew up in Chihuahua, far away from any of Mexico's national parks. He says the idea of public lands as they exist in Colorado is a new concept for many immigrants. You know what? We don't have many places to do hikes because a lot of the land is private. So you have to find out places that you're not getting in trouble to hike. But it's hard. Back on the trail with Dugini Rochin, she's excited about the map, bilingual signage, and what it could mean for her and her friends. Now she says they can head out onto the valley's trails with confidence and less fear of getting lost. The hike was also a valuable opportunity for Sarabia to get feedback on what can be included on future versions of El Camino Latino. For example, another hiker, Carlos Comejo, pointed out that people might appreciate information on wildlife they may encounter, like bears. This is the kind of thing that English-speaking outdoor enthusiasts in the Roaring Fork Valley take for granted, that there's information about wildlife. And in a culture so centered on the outdoors, that can be alienating for Spanish speakers who live in the community. For Tigini Grochin, that's another important part of the map, helping her community feel like it belongs on Colorado's trails. She says they live here too and have total freedom to go out and enjoy the fresh air. Y sentirnos parte de, vivimos aquí y tenemos total libertad a salir y disfrutar y oxigenarnos. <laughs> sí. I'm Caroline Yanez. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. As the beginning of the school year approaches, the Grand County School District is still struggling to hire staff and substitutes. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent speaks with Emily Arnson about the issue. Uh, the big story for the Times Independent anyway, and I, I think it's uh, making its way around town, is the fact that the school district is woefully short on uh, staff, uh, professional staff, support staff, paraprofessional staff, and they're uh, really reaching out to the community uh, in an effort to bolster their staffing so uh, they can avoid the pitfalls that come with short staffing that you know so many people in Moab are working with, you know, burnout more than anything. But uh, they need everything from cafeteria workers, uh, teacher assistants, teachers, substitutes, uh, cafeteria help. Uh, it's really um, a pretty serious issue, I, I guess, after COVID and everything um, kind of sent people home, they've been slow to returning. So if you've uh, got even a, an hour a week that you can uh, uh, devote to uh, education, uh, give them a call. Yeah. Who should people call? I, I would call um, 
Zinder, I believe her name is. Yeah, Zinder, Z-E-N-D-E-R, and the information on how to contact her is in the story. Um, uh, if you just know anybody who works at the district, ask them, and they'll tell you what, what they need and how much they need. Uh, just to go give you an example, when, uh, when a teacher at HMK, when uh, he or she has to uh, take time off, then their class, the students in that class, uh, they get dispersed to other classrooms, so it disrupts that class plus the other classrooms in which those kids uh, are put into. So it's a real problem, you know, just uh, interrupting the learning environment. Definitely. So you said it was kind of after COVID, things didn't go back to normal. It, it, seems, like a it, it for, seems like yeah. a lot of people, uh, when they went home for COVID, they didn't come back. And okay. Whether they even live here anymore, I don't know. But yeah. it's, just a, it's just a real problem. Yeah, was there anything else you wanted to uh, Not for that, that story. Okay. Um, I did want to talk about... Um, the alternative dwelling ordinance yeah. that was passed a few months ago. Uh, apparently, uh, an enforcement mechanism was never included in this ordinance. So they have concerns all of a sudden about uh, are the people that are going to be uh, living in these um, uh, unorthodox housing situations, van, van lifers, RVs, tents, just all kinds of alternative dwelling options. Um, what it, what's happening is they're not sure if that they're going to go to uh, uh, the part of the, the workforce, which was the whole point of was was easing that lack of affordable housing for the workforce. But there's no mechanism in there to ensure that people aren't doing it for you know overnight rentals. Now, very clearly, the the rule states that 60 days is the minimum uh, rental time. That the lease has to be at least 60 days for that to uh, to qualify. And that seems to me that it would essentially eliminate you know overnight. Uh, visitation, but does that mean that they're working for, uh, you know, if are they a local employee in need of housing? Yeah, and for people who aren't familiar with this, can you explain what the alternative dwelling yeah, ordinance the is? Yeah, al alternative dwelling ordinance was a rather unique legislation that the uh, Grand County Commission came up with to address uh, the lack of affordable housing for uh, you know, the working people in Moab. So uh, for qualifying properties, um, that mainly that they have enough property and, and it doesn't do too much to uh, detract from the, the neighborhood's personality. Um, they can allow people to pop up tents, park travel trailers, um, park tiny houses, um, all of the alternative housing options that, that are out there. Um, and they, they can basically um, provide a place for them to uh, uh, eliminate their bodily waste and things like that. So hygiene-wise, um, th that's taken care of. And so far, I think um, about three-quarters of the applicants have been approved and about 25% uh, for one reason or another have been declined. But it's just, like I said, it's just another example of um, how local government is trying to address the housing situation. So is the news here that there was a new ordinance passed, but that ordinance doesn't have include language to like dissuade people from overnight accommodations? Or but the, the main thing is, is that there's no enforcement mechanism in place. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't do anything, I mean, what do you, I mean, if they do break the rules, what can you do, if anything? So that's that's the question moving forward. Yeah. Did anyone have any proposals for what kind of enforcement to put in place? I think I think right now there's not a whole lot of concern, again, because of the 60-day rule, and I, I don't think that um, there's a lot of concern about abuse, but 
Uh, not everybody in the commission is in lockstep on this. Commissioner Bill Winfield, um, you know, his question was, so someone with a quarter million dollar RV could park and be fine as long as they stayed there for 60 days um, and not be part of the workforce and not really be uh, a person who would need that kind of housing option. Mm -hmm. So I think there is worry, there is worries about the abuse, but I think that everybody's taking more of a wait and see approach. Okay, thanks for that. Um, what else happened this week or is coming up? Moab Music Festival kicks off uh, on August 21st. And the theme, you know, they had that commission that they started, uh, I think they, I think this is the second or third year. And this year's theme is water, specifically the Colorado River. And um, I interviewed uh, composer and pianist uh, Timo Andres, and he is going to perform at Star Hall um, on the uh, 25th of August. Um, that's going to be a, the big show. And he has a new workout called... Um, uh, tooth and, and claw and it doesn't specifically address water and water's role in nature but it is very much about nature itself and he um, is a devotee of the late uh, composer um, uh, Olivier uh, Messian who's um, a French composer and Messian believed that um, nature is inherently violent, random, um, unpredictable, um, and, and brutal. And, and all of that combined makes for something very beautiful. Uh, he also um, admits that he steals from Beethoven, uh, the, the last movement of uh, Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. Um, and he did this um, not because it's typical of him to do it, but Beethoven himself... Um, his attitude towards nature was it's always beautiful, um, despite the brutality, despite the uh, unrelenting um, harshness that nature can lay down at our feet. Um, it's still a beautiful thing, um, and it is predictable. So these are like polar opposites, these two composers, and, and he used he borrowed from both of them to come up with uh, uh, Tooth and Claw. And um, very inter entertaining interview. You know how some of these interviews that you just make a friend. Um, he's 37 years old, and he's been composing for for 30 years. I mean, I'm 63, and, <laughs> and I've been in my career for a little over 30 years. So uh, it's it's hard to believe that somebody at 37 could have, could be that far into it. But he did. He composed his uh, first music um, at the age of seven. And, uh, of course, he says that's all been swept under the rug and never to be looked at again. But uh, he did go to Yale. His undergrad is in uh, music composition. And uh, he's regarded as one of the, um, like, the, uh, the face of the, uh, the new minimalist, minimalist music in, in American music composition. These young composers are uh, they're doing a lot more with less, like like we all are. Mm, so, wow. Yeah, looking forward to that. Cool. Was, yeah, it was very, very interesting guy. Cool. So can you remind us again when he's playing? He is playing at 7 p.m. at Star Hall on August 25th. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Monsoon season is upon us. After last year's record flood, the county has been developing a plan to keep residents safe in the face of major storms. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News speaks with Emily Arnson about the story. 
this week. Um, we've had a lot of rain, so I think a lot of people are kind of remembering that monsoon season exists. And of course, the last two years, um, monsoon season has brought really destructive flooding. And so I chatted with Cora Phillips, who is Grand County's Emergency Management Director, kind of about like how the county is preparing for monsoon season and flooding and also um, what residents can do to prepare. So kind of the first thing that the county is doing is they hired her. Um, She started in November 2022, right after, you know, last year we had this giant August flood that the city and the county are still rebuilding from. Um, And then they have a bunch of projects going on. A lot of them are funded by State Bill 003, which provided funding for flood mitigation during the spring runoff season. Um, They have like all these new signs around town, especially near um, Mill and Pat Creeks that say like, turn around, don't drown. Um, They have free sandbag filling stations around town um, so people can go get sandbags and then also go fill them um, and put them like near doors in their homes so that they don't flood. And then the Grand County Road Department purchased a ringomatic vac trailer, <laughs> which is a Ooh. culvert cleaning device. Okay. Yeah. Pretty cool. I love the name. Is that going to be used under um, the bridge uh, yes. under Main Street? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they have all these new ways to like clean out the culverts, which was a big issue last year when debris filled them and then the water was able to go up and over. Um, they've also been working with Kara Doran Wind at um, Rim to Rim to kind of clear debris along the creeks. And then also the biggest one is that they've updated their alert system. So a lot of people will remember during last year's flash flood on August 20th, there was no emergency warning um, released by the county or the city, um, but they use the same alert system. But yeah, so nobody really knew what was going on. And then In the following days at a Moab City Council meeting, the council even talked about how nobody knew what was going on and there was nobody really leading the show. Um, And so now there's a super set in stone process. So people can sign up for Grand County's alerts, um, but also the county developed a process to be able to geofence alerts. So like they can outline an area that'll be affected and send out an alert um, to everyone in that area that says, you know, like a flash flood is coming or, you know, you need to evacuate or something like that. So that's like a huge upgrade from last year and hopefully we'll keep people safer. Um, And Cora has also been working really closely with a lot of like first responders and leaders in the community to create a process for what will happen um, if there's a flash flood. Yeah. Did she mention anything about whether they anticipate floods like that this year? Nobody really knows um, what monsoon season is going to look like. Like the past two years, we had these crazy floods. And then but before that, there wasn't really a huge monsoon season. And so um, really all like she's been watching the weather a lot. And she's also been um, putting a lot of resources out, like asking people to sign up for water alerts through the USGS. Um, and kind of like inform themselves. So yeah, she said her three biggest tips for the community are um, first to utilize sandbags, therefore filling locations around town. Um, and you can also grab bags themselves from the Moab City Public Works Yard or the Grand County Roads Department. Sign up for alerts is a huge one. You can sign up for alerts at grandcountyalerts.org um, or follow the 
the emergency management department on Facebook where um, Cora is often posting information on like flood and lightning and weather safety. And then she said, another big thing is just to stay informed. Um, yeah, it's really good for people to like be prepared and kind of make a flood kit and make a plan. And there are a lot of resources online to do that. Um, ready.gov has resources for floods and so does bready.utah.gov. Nice. That was very thorough. Thanks, Allie. Um, What else happened this week that you want to talk about? Yeah, so two new artists started with the Moab Arts Reuse Residency. Um, This residency has been going on since 2021, but this is the first year that we'll have two sets of artists. Um, The first was in March with Roundhouse Platform, and the second will be in August, where we'll host Tom Hansel and Renee Riesman. Nice. Did they say what they're going to work on? Yeah. So um, this kind of version of the reuse residency is um, a little bit different than the other ones because it's really focusing on like community participation. So I chatted with Melissa Morgan, who is the assistant director at Mob Arts. Um, and she said the program has been changing a lot since it began. And for this one, um, they're not really looking for like a finished product from the artist kind of like in the past um like people will remember Justin Tyler Tate's big um kind of like playground situation that he created but Melissa said they've been realizing that Moab's waste stream is super ever evolving and so um it's difficult to expect that every artist will be able to create what they set out to create at the beginning um you know in only like one month and so this is kind of more of like a championing the process type of project. So Tom Hansel is a filmmaker and an author. And during the residency, he's going to host a series of two hour film workshops where participants will learn how to create short films on themes of like waste and art and reuse. Um, And he said like anyone can come and he's really excited to share filmmaking through like phones um, and like cell phones and social media have really increased people's access to tools of filmmaking and so really anyone can do this Um, and then those finished films will be projected onto a large screen that Tom is going to create from upcycled materials Um, and so the workshops are on August 9th 16th and 23rd and you can find a lot more information on that at um, moabarts.org But that'll be really cool and interesting. And he said um, seeing people actively work to build community is really inspiring. So he's really excited to be here. And then Renee is an artist focusing on infrastructure, public policy, and the environment. She does a ton of different things, um, but she's really good at photography and collage. And so um, she's going to explore kind of how systems like utilities and services that make cities operate kind of um, affect the way that we live. So she's doing a project where she's going to look into policing at the Kenyaland Solid Waste Authority. She said um, through her work, she's observed that sanitation workers often collaborate with law enforcement to like locate evidence and solve crime, but they aren't this weaponized force. And so Um, She said, I think sanitation can open a door into thinking about what an alternative world of law enforcement and community protection could look like. So what she's going to do is interview the staff at Kingland Solid Waste Authority about their experience with crime and then create these kind of fun artistic portraits by costuming staff as detectives and putting them in um, different settings for these final portrait photos that she'll take. Um, She wants this project to be 
approachable and kind of humorous. And she just said um, she kind of wants the final work to get people thinking about policing in this speculative way. And she's also going to host a public workshop on August 22nd at the Mark. Um, she'll teach participants the basics of GIMP, which is a free photo editing software. Um, and she'll help people create collages to then be printed on postcards. That's so fun. I love the idea of um, police using the dump as evidence. Yeah, I know. I think that, yeah, I've never really thought about that. Um, so I'm really excited to see yeah, what both of these artists will create. Yeah, very cool. Thanks, Ali. What else did you want to talk about today? The final kind of fun thing going on in Moab this week is that there's a new library exhibit curated by a local high school graduate. Um, So Kira Kirks, she was doing an internship with Science Moab's School to Science program this summer. Um, And she she went into it knowing that she wanted to work with rocks and geology. And she was thinking like maybe she could sort through and organize old geology records, especially going through the Moab Museum's collection. Um, and so she started this internship and she worked with Mary Langworthy at the Moab Museum, who is also a trained geologist. Um, and they worked together to identify rocks and minerals in the museum's collection and then turn that work into an exhibit on display at the library. Um, so Kirk said it was really fun. She went into this kind of trying to focus on geology, but realized that she really loves museums and it was this really fun opportunity to try something new. Um, and the exhibit is really interesting. It's pretty small. It's like right outside the children's room. Um, it has like photos and geologic specimens on display. So she covered a lot of things in it. Um, there's like the history of uranium mining in Moab. And then also she talks about how local minerals were used as pigments in pottery and pictographs. Um, and so really it's this look at like how geology has both shaped the landscape here, but also the culture of this region. Great. And how long is the exhibit up? It'll be up for a while. So it'll be on display through early 2024. So you have a lot of time to view it. Allison Hartford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the Weekly News Reel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes on our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News Podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.